Okay, we're going to be going into the Gospel of Luke today. And what an exciting time it is as we've finally gotten through the book of Genesis. 50, 50 chapters of that good-sized book there. And I thought fitting to go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Starting in the book of Genesis, which means the origin. We looked at the, the Genesis, the origin of mankind and the origin of time and everything how it was created. And how fitting it would be to look at the New Testament, the origin, the birth, the works of, in the life of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. And so I figured Luke would be a good one to go into for that as we look at his birth and as we look at everything that he's done. And what an exciting thing, because again, we're going to see so many rich things. So I'm going to be covering chapters 1 and 2 today. Uh, they're both uh, pretty good-sized chapters, and I'm going to be explaining the majority of chapter 1, as I will also read uh, bits and pieces from that and chapter 2. Uh, on the media page of the website, I also have Luke chapter 2 on the birth of Christ recorded on there as a Christmas message. But we're going to go ahead and look at that again as a whole this time. And in chapter 1, if you have a Bible with you, and I'm going to start off in chapter 1 as I read just uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, in chapter 1 of Luke, it says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perf perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account most excellent Theophilus that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed you know as we begin the gospel of Luke he writes to a man here by the name of Theophilus yeah, we're not sure who he was, but it, obviously it was someone important to this apostle who was the only one who was a Gentile in the group. He was a Greek non-Jew. He was also a physician, which would make him a very extremely educated person. Uh, as the New Testament was written in Greek, you know, Luke's gospel was seen to be the best written. And, and of course, so being an educated Greek doctor, how could it not be? Uh, the Greek language was, an, uh, was that of intellectual status. No, there's no other language in this world that has many, that has many words as the Greek language does. No, no other language. It's, I want to say there's probably, if I'm not mistaken, according to research, 45 million words were found in the Greek language, if not more. And you take the English language at this time, where we probably have 1.1 million words. So the, the Greek language is extremely rich. But as we, as we start, he says this to Theophilus in, in verses 1 and 3. Now, throughout verses 5 through 25, what Luke did was he gave the account of John the Baptist, the, the birth of John the Baptist. And this would technically be like the cousin of our Lord and Savior through his mother Mary, um, her sister, gave birth to John the Baptist. But as his parents, you take a, a Zacharias was his father and Elizabeth was his mother. And Elizabeth could not have children. Elizabeth was actually barren. And they were both older. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias to tell him that a son will be born to him named John. Now, Zacharias was a priest here. 
and he served on the division of Abijah, which uh, which would serve a uh, it would serve a short time, which would be on his course, which would be the eighth course out of twenty four courses uh, that were implemented in the book of First Chronicles on the priests and their service times per course. And again, that could be seen in the book of First Chronicles, chapter twenty four, if you want to look that up. But after his course was served, he would have a son, John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was the sister of Mary, who was the chosen mother of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. So Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months in verse 25. Then in the sixth month, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel to announce that she would be giving birth, a miraculous virgin birth, to the Messiah. You know, Gabriel would, uh, Gabriel explained everything to her. And Elizabeth's birth of John as well here. Now, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but they were not married yet. So in the other Gospel of Matthew, he mentioned that when Joseph found out about her being with child, he was going to quietly divorce her because he just did not <laughs> believe that what was going on here. In, in this case, he was going to quietly divorce her because her having a, a relationship and having a child without being married would have caused her to be stoned. And they, they took this kind of stuff very seriously back then in these days. So he was just going to quietly divorce her to kind of save her life. He was going to do that until Gabriel came to him in a dream and explained what God was going to do and how he was going and how he was chosen to be a part of the whole thing himself. You know, as John was born, Zechariah actually had a prophecy in verses 67 through 80, which I'll go ahead and read that to us. It said, Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, as, when the, as was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So they all knew this would come, but had no idea that they were part of it. You know, th this family, uh, one bearing the prophet of the highest, and the other the savior of the world called Jesus, Yeshua in his Hebrew name, meaning God saves, is what our Lord and Savior's name means. As Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, well, let's see what comes next with our Lord. In verses 1 through 24, I'm going to explain in chapter 1. In in, um, in chapter 2, I'm sorry, uh, verses 1 through 24, I'm going to explain what was going on. Uh, the birth of Christ had happened six months after the birth of John the Baptist. 
And the birth of Christ was the most amazing story ever heard. As he was born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem, which was about 70 miles from Nazareth, where actually Mary and Joseph were from. But you see, all of this happening in Bethlehem was the prophecy to take place. As soon as the Lord was born, they had this large host, a heavenly host of angels, which a heavenly host of angels would have been kind of like the guardians, these, these mighty guardian angels, that came down and showed, they showed uh, to sing praises in front of a bunch of shepherds, revealing the birth of the Messiah. And as they rushed over to see him, and as they worshipped him, as they have been awaiting for his arrival, uh, you know, there was others out there as well who were waiting. And as, as I will read verses 22 through, 20, uh, 22 through 35 to us. But again, there was no room in the inns. And obviously this was going on at night because it said that the shepherds were outdoors at the time. And there was most likely possibly a fire that they were warming themselves by as these angels that were probably looking for somebody, somebody to come and tell as every candle was snuffed out for the evening. And what they saw most likely was this flicker of light down there. And they had to tell somebody what had happened out of excitement as they sang the praises. So Bethlehem was the place to be because this was the prophesied small little town which was prophesied through the Old Testament that the Messiah, the Savior, would be born in, in this little town of Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And so our Lord and Savior is born. The angels come down and sing, present themselves to the shepherds, and the shepherds rush to find the baby in the manger, and they show to worship and observe him. But what's really neat is what we're going to see here in verses 22 through 35 as our Lord and Savior is going to be presented in the temple. We're going to see the reactions of some others here, which says, Now, when the days of the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been said or revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before that he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a, sh a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
So again, uh, this devout man, Simeon, had a life accomplishment. You see, we call that a bucket list nowadays. Uh, Things accomplished before we die. He got to see the Savior and hold him in his arms. You know, the Jewish people, such as Simeon, were were well-knowing of the blessings to their nation. And many thought that Christ had come to save their nation only. Now, as Luke was very clear, though, in his Greek writing, he made known to a Gentile audience that salvation was to the world. Well, so did John in John 3.16, that very well-known passage, John 3.16, it says, it said at best that God so loved the world that he um, sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. But he prophesied to Mary the things to come. As for us, or any normal person, all we know is that we're, that there will be good times and there's going to be bad times in our lives. But no other will endure what Jesus did. And Simeon was kind of making that known. No other person will be loved as he was, or hated, or, or as despised as he was. She will have to witness the rejection of Christ, and she will have to witness his suffering on the cross. Her privilege was, you know, was as high as her burden will be. Uh, to hear that your child will be the rise and fall of many in Israel could not be something to just to shrug your shoulders at. Now, 33 years later, she will have to witness the most brutal beating in mankind's historical accounts. She will have to witness his destiny. And that was saving the world of their sins, is what she will witness. Someone who was without sin, who, who never did any wrong, was going to have to, uh, to have every horrific sin cast upon himself for the atonement of all of the world. So yes, a sword will pierce her soul, as she will witness a sword pierce the side of her son as he takes his last breath on the cross. Let's continue to take a look here. It's what's going to be done in uh, in verses 36 through 40. Somebody else comes in now. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So there was another person Luke made known in the experience with the birth of Jesus, even a prophetess by the name of Anna, unknown in the records of people in the Bible, but made known about her devout service to the Lord. Even as a widow, she was faithful in her service to the Lord and was used to deliver the message to the new parents of the Savior. God allowed an elderly widow to be a messenger of hope who God spoke directly to. 
Now, it looks like they spent a time there in Jerusalem. You know, as obedience to the law was being performed, uh, at eight days, circumcision was to happen as they came to present the Lord at the temple. Uh, Luke gives insight on him growing strong and in wisdom, as Luke's gospel gave uh, the insight of our Lord's humanity. Even though he was deity, he presented him in his humanity, in his healings of miraculous work. And again, Luke being a physician, it was only fitting that he would document his healings. <laughs> but again, with a passionate and well-written gospel, he made known that, that though he grew like other children, he exceeded them, as we will see. You know, becoming strong and filled with wisdom was natural in him. But we can, we can as well, you know, we can grow that way as well because James chapter 1 verse 5 says that God will give wisdom to those who ask. To anyone who asks, God will give wisdom to. And, and we didn't have any biblical documents of our Lord's childhood and, and what that was like. But He was the Messiah. So even as a child, it would have been, uh, it would have been perfection in his childhood life. He would have lived in perfection. But we know that he was a carpenter by trade, as his earthly adopted father Joseph was, and they would actually start to train their sons in the trades, or whatever trade they were in, they would normally train them up at the age of five, which was customary at that age. And it was hard work. It was very tedious work. So yes, he, he grew strong. He grew strong from that as well. And we will see one thing right now as a young boy that Luke made known. But for his youth, it would have looked as a, as a normal one. as He wasn't really known as the Messiah until the age of 30. He didn't make that known until that age frame, until about the age of 30 when he started to start uh, his ministry. But he most likely grew up in normal childhood. Did what everybody else did, learning their father's trade at the age of five, going to the synagogues and learning the laws and so on and so forth from the rabbinical scholars. And, and, and we're going to see what he did uh, shortly after, the amazing things that he did uh, at the age of 12. But let's continue on here at verses 41 through 45. And then it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feasts. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind him in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did, did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now this was the only biblical account of Jesus in his youth. That, that we had. Uh, we had of him getting uh, lost from his parents during the Passover feast. Uh, every year it was mandatory for the people of Israel, mostly the men of all things, but most people from Israel would show up, mandatory, to attend the Passover feast, which God made this during the book of Exodus in chapter 23. It was a, it was a customary gathering of God's people, celebrating uh, their independence from the Egyptian slavery in the book of Exodus. And this was a very large gathering where people gathered from all over Israel. And in fact, even foreigners living in the land were invited by God himself in the book of Deuteronomy. It was a requirement to invite the alien from the, from out, who wasn't from the area 
to invite them to, to the festivities of what our Lord did, what God did for his people. At the time this happened, they were living in Nazareth, which was probably around somewhere about 60 miles from Jerusalem, which is where they traveled. And it was known that they would travel in large groups from from their towns and, and family and friends and, and so on during these feasts. People would almost kind of do like an ancient day caravanning. Uh, they would travel in groups to protect themselves from robbers. You know, men, men would travel from the back as women and children were up front more, as the men could see what was going on up front while watching their backs. So for a child to get lost in a place like this, this would not be hard to do. As a nation came into a city, into a city area, you could only imagine how easy it is to get lost in a crowd. You know, I myself remember getting lost at Disneyland as a child and feeling the fear and the anxiety of that. I'll never forget that. But that was minor compared to the crowds here at these feasts. Uh, Disneyland or any other amusement park was nothing. Uh, this was a th- uh, this was three days missing our Lord. <laughs> they couldn't find him for three days. So you couldn't imagine what Joseph and Mary were going through. These godly parents who were chosen to care for the Messiah were searching diligently for him. But what was neat to see is where he ended up. Where they found him. You know, most kids his age uh, would have enjoyed the festivities of the Passover feast, I'm sure. They would have been hanging out where, where the fun stuff was happening, right? But they found him in the church headquarters of the area. And let's take a look here at what was said afterwards in verse 46 through 52. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you out anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It would have been something, you know, to have seen the the demeanors on everyone when when Mary and Joseph found him. Uh, Jesus probably very calmly said, Why were you looking for me? Can't you see I'm doing what I was sent to do? Which was my father's work here. You know, here's Jesus, 12 years old, making his presence known. As Israel's wisest teachers are are astonished by him. Uh, You know, that would have been something to see. It's like these prodigies, you know, you see the these young kids uh, speaking with professors with PhDs in, in uh, astrophysics or whatever. <laughs> and, and But the things that the Lord was speaking of were beyond anything of that even. Astonishing these rabbinical scholars, these teachers in the temple. They got a little glimpse of who he was right then and there. So as we were given no info of his youth... It was made known that he was subject to his parents, though. He lived by the commandment, and and that was of the model of honoring your mother and father. Uh, But if anything, 
from the looks of it, as I said, he, he grew up as a, nor, in a normal childhood to a young man who increased in all ways, stature, wisdom. He was even in favor with people around him at the time. I love what it says in the book of Philippians, that, it, that he came down in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Our Lord and our Savior and Father grew up in the Galilean area, in the town of Nazareth. And, and it was a town that had a poor reputation. And in fact, in John's Gospel, we could take Nathaniel, one of the disciples who were chosen. He said himself, when he heard that the Lord came from Nazareth, his response was, he said, what good can come from Nazareth? Well, you see, the brightest stars can be seen best in the darkest places. As we covered his birth, and we covered his youth, what we're going to be observing from now on, starting in chapter 3 on, will be the beginning of his ministry. And we're going to see the amazing things that our Lord did before he accomplished his greatest task. And that task was uh, for our sake on the cross. See, I want to give the, I always give the opportunity to receive the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior and your Father because the Bible says that no one can enter the kingdom unless they've been born again. And that means receiving the Lord. Receiving Him as your Lord and Savior in repentance. There's nothing else that could be done other than that. Everything we do afterwards is icing on the cake, if you will. But you see, He came down. A lot of people, when you ask them about why did the Lord come... Well, I've heard that he came to be he came to be of service to people. He came to serve. Yes, he did. Well, he came to teach us. Oh, well, he certainly did. He came to heal as many as possible. Or well, we're going to see that, especially in Luke's gospel. Now, he came to bring the dying to life into a life of eternity is what his main purpose was. To make himself known through God who exists. As he says in the other Gospels, if you've seen the Father, you have seen me. And by what he did, which we're going to get to in, within due time, what he did by dying on that cross was giving us a way into heaven for those who receive him in faith through spirit and through prayer. So if anybody wants to receive our Lord, even through faith, as we only got to hear right here and right now, all we got to hear was his birth. All we got to hear were some sections of his youth. If you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to receive the Messiah, the Lord and Savior, who lived just like we did, who had to work, who had to eat, who had to sleep, who faced rejection, who felt pain, 
He came down to dwell amongst us. Which is again where Luke likes, where Luke presented our Messiah's manhood, if you will, his human likeness. That was Luke's majority of his documenting of our Lord was his, his human likeness. But he was beyond that. God allowed him, he came down to dwell amongst us so he could reach us. As I read that section from Philippians, he made himself of no reputation. That way nobody could fear him. He was gentle in his human, in his human existence. But he was powerful, as we are going to see in his deity. If you want to receive him now, in faith, I want you to say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And Lord, I pray that you will receive me, Lord, into your kingdom when my time is up. As I receive you in my heart, Lord, as my Lord and my Savior, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, Lord, as I am now a part of you, Lord. May you be with me always, Lord. May I walk close to you as well, Father. So I praise you, I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we're going to venture on, we're going to see some amazing things. We're going to see things that will want you will want to receive the Lord by. How could we not, you know? I mean, after all, He did die for us. So He's the greatest hero that we'll ever know. And he's living and active to this day. So may you receive him with joy and gladness. And walk close with him in all your days. May God bless you.